His Purpose by Neville Goddard. Tonight's subject is His Purpose. When purpose is revealed, everything falls into place. So the revelation of purpose gives meaning to the existence of life. There is a purpose behind it all. It may not seem so, judging from this level, but there is a purpose, a great purpose. It is God's purpose to give himself to us, because in the end, we will awaken as God. That is the purpose. Paul tells us he knows the plan by which it is done when he writes his letter to the Ephesians. He says, He has made known unto us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. Ephesians 1, nine. Then he tells us, In the fullness of time God sends forth his Son into our hearts, crying, Father. Galatians 4.6 in the fullness of time, that is, in the very end of the drama, his son appears calling us father. Then, and only then, will we know that God has fulfilled his purpose in us. Now, this is the fulfillment of scripture. And we are told, Scripture must be fulfilled in me, John seventeen twelve, And beginning with Moses, in the law, and all the prophets and the Psalms, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the truth concerning himself. Luke thirty four twenty seven Revised Standard Version. For scripture must be fulfilled in me, he says. In the volume of the book, which means the Bible, it is written of me, Psalm 47, 47, not 47, but 40, semicolon 7, uh, King James Version. For from beginning to end, it's all about that central character that is being formed in us. And when he is formed in us, he comes forward, and that one calls us Father. In the story of Job, the innocent being suffered unmercifully. The word Job means, where is my father? That is the search of every child born of woman. Where is the cause of the phenomena of life? Where is the father of it all? Where is he? In the end of the book of Job, Job can say, As the world can say, who has accepted the belief in God? I have heard of thee, with the hearing of the ear. But now my eyes see thee. Job 42, 5. When you have heard of God, and those who believe in God have heard of God, but in the end, more than having heard of God, you see him. Now, how do you see God? We are told in Scripture, no one has ever seen God but his holy or his only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father. He has made him known. John 1, 18. For to see God, you must see him in his Son. The Son reveals the Father. Now we are told, no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Luke 10.22 Now we have searched the scriptures for that Son, and we are told in scripture, in the second Psalm, 
And the psalmist by the name of David is speaking, and he is made to say, I will tell of the decree of the Lord, he said unto me, Thou art my son, today I have begotten thee. Psalm 2.7 Then in the 89th Psalm, these are now the words of the Lord, and he says, I have found David my servant, and he has cried unto me, Thou art my father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. Psalm 89, 20-26 Man, having been taught that the Bible is secular history, hasn't the slightest concept of this scripture, of this mystery. When Paul speaks of this mystery that was revealed unto him, he is not telling us that this is a matter to be kept secret, but it is a truth that is mysterious in character. Tonight I will share with you my personal experience of this mystery, and I know it's going to be the experience of everyone in the world, for it is God's purpose. Twelve years ago today in this city, across the way at the Hotel Sir Francis Drake, that mystery began to unfold in me. I retired quite early, having read a bit of the Bible, a bit of William Blake, and then retired. I made a call to my wife and daughter, who were then in Beverly Hills, and then turned in, in a very normal manner. Then, at about 4.15 in the morning, a vibration that was the most intense thing that I have ever experienced began in my head. It was an earthquake, plus a storm. I felt that every bone in my skull was coming apart. I entertained the thought, not knowing anything of the human form. I am not a doctor. So I knew nothing of what a cerebral hemorrhage would be, but I thought for a moment this must be it, I must be, or it must be a massive cerebral stroke, and maybe this is my departure from this world. That was the feeling I had. The thing was so intense. But this is what happened. Instead of being one who departed the world, I began to awake. At the moment, I thought I would awake as I had awakened for 50-odd years of my life. Now this was 1959, 12 years ago, but as I awoke, I awoke within my skull, and I knew. As I woke within my skull that my skull was a sepulcher. It was a tomb, and I am alone. And my skull was sealed. There was no opening. A completely sealed tomb, sepulcher. I had one consuming desire, and that was to get out. I intuitively knew that if I would push at the base of my skull, that something would give. I pushed the base of my skull from within, and something gave, rolled away. Then I stuck my head through that opening and pushed, and I pushed and pushed, and I came out inch by inch by inch, just as a child comes out of the womb of woman. Only this exit was out of my skull, and I was almost out. I pulled the remaining portion of my body out of my skull. I looked back at that out of which I had come to find it was this body. It was ghastly pale and tossing its head from side to side, and just like one in the recovery room following some major operation. It looked like death itself. I arose from the ground and looked at it, and there it was just like something was dead. Now a peculiar unearthly wind began, and I thought it was coming from the corner of the room. I looked over where I thought it originated. 
I had turned away more than a matter of seconds, or I hadn't turned away more than a matter of seconds. The wind was in my head, and it was also coming from the corner of the room. <clears throat> when I turned back to where the body was, the body was gone, but in its place sat my three older brothers. The oldest sat where the head was, the second one sat where the right foot was, and the third one sat where the left foot was. They too were disturbed. They could not see me, and I will tell you why later. I could see them and hear their thoughts. Every thought was objective to me. I heard the voices. I heard the discussion about the wind. And my brother Lawrence, the first one, he got off the bed and started towards the same direction where I thought this storm originated. He hadn't gone more than, say, two feet when his attention was attracted to something on the floor. And, looking down, he announced this. He said, Why? It is Neville's baby. My other two brothers, Cecil and Victor, in the most incredulous voices, asked, How can Neville have a baby? He did not argue the point. He stopped over and lifted the evidence from the floor. <clears throat> and here was a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes. He brought it towards the bed and laid it on the bed. Then I lifted that little infant in my arms. And looking into its face, I asked the little child, How is my sweetheart? It broke into the most heavenly smile, almost to a laugh, and then the whole scene dissolved. And that is the story of the birth of God. It's not the child. The child, we are told in Scripture, is only a sign. And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Luke 2.12 Lying at the very lowest ebb, but a sign of what? That God is born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. John 1.13 Self-begotten I had not the slightest idea that the story of Jesus Christ was so literally true, for I was taught, as every Christian is taught, that it was historically true 2,000 years ago. I did not realize that it was contemporary, that it has to be something that takes place in everyone throughout eternity, that God's timeless plan is taking place in time. His timeless purpose is working in time. And in the fullness of time, this one is called, that one is called, that one is called, and each gives birth to God, for God is the Savior, as we are told. I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. But beside me, there is no Savior. Isaiah 43, 3. So the Savior is born, and you contain that Savior within you. God literally became as you are, that you may be as he is. This is the story of life through death, the story of the germ of wheat. That little grain of wheat must fall into the earth and die or else it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. John twelve twenty four. So God actually dies to completely forget he is God when he becomes you. He is buried in you when he will awake in you. And the sign of his awakening in you is the little child wrapped in swaddling clothes. That is the evidence that an event outside of the wildest dream of man took place. At that moment in time, 
and the one in whom it took place was the one in whom God awoke. That was the sign. Now we come to the child. There's another child. We're told, unto us a child is born. That is the child, but unto us a son is given. Isaiah 9.6. These are two entirely different events. They are separated by approximately four and a half months, approximately 139 days to be exact. 139 days later, a vibration similar to that one that preceded it in the child's birth takes place again in your skull, and this time it is centered at the top of the skull, and you feel you can't take it. When it reaches the apex of its density, at that moment your skull seems to explode. It actually explodes. And then you find yourself in a modestly finished, furnished room, looking at a son, and you know he is your son. He's a boy, oh, about 13 years of age, and you know exactly who he is. You know that he is David of biblical fame, and you know he is your son, and you know he knows that you are his father. You look down before you, and here is an enormous head severed from a body. That is the head of the giant that your son severed. And you know he is the David of biblical fame, and you are his father. David's father is God. The name in scripture is Jesse, and Jesse in any form of the, is any form of the verb to be. It actually means Jehovah ex exists. That is the name of David's father. What I am telling you, you do not know now, but no one in eternity can convince you that you are God but your son. I can tell you from now to the end of time that you are God, and you will say, as Job said in the end of the book of Job, I have heard of thee with the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see thee, Job 42, 5. You can only actually know that you are when the Son appears. For no one knows who the Son is except the Father. And no one knows who the Father is except the Son. And anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal it. Luke 10.22 So no one has ever seen God but his only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father. He has made him known. John 1.18 but he appears at the end of the drama. Then you know why you put yourself through the furnaces of affliction. It took all these furnaces of affliction to awaken you from that self-imposed death, that you may redeem man. And so, he actually awakens within the individual and he awakens as God. But not one thing in eternity could ever convince any individual that he is God, save the Son of God who calls him Father. He said, I have found David, and he has cried unto me, Thou art my father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. Psalm 89, 20, 26. That you will read in the 89th Psalm. This is how the drama unfolds within the individual. This is God's purpose. Now we are told you must be born again, except you are born from above. You cannot enter the kingdom of heaven, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. John 3.14 You read those words, and they seem to mean what? Nothing. Just words. May I tell you, 
they are literally true. As we are told in Peter's first epistle, we are born anew through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, 1 Peter 1.3, Revised Standard Version. Now you know who Jesus Christ is. It is your own true being, which is that in you that will actually rise from the grave. The moment you rise from the grave, right on the heels of it, follows your birth from above. So you are born from above through the resurrection of Jesus Christ in you. But he rises in you from the grave of your own skull. That's how he rises in you. So do not look on the outside for him. Jesus Christ is in man, or man could not breathe. He is in you, or you could not be alive. And the day will come, he will actually unfold himself within you as you. He comes to us as one unknown, yet one who in the most ineffable mystery lets us experience who he is. And when we experience him, we experience him in the first person singular present tense experience. You can go out and tell it to anyone who will listen to you, but you cannot persuade them that it is going to happen to them until it does happen. And they will know how true your story is because the Bible teaches that no matter how you tell it, how persuasive you are, you cannot convince anyone that he is God. Only the son can convince the individual that he is God. Till the sun appears, the sun cannot be spoken of as your sun. He has to appear. And through some peculiar innate wisdom, you look at your son as though memory is returning, as though you had suffered from amnesia. So God is rising in man, and his memory returns. God has sent unto you, as it is said in Scripture, your own spirit. Proverbs 1, 23. Isaiah 32, 15. Luke. 11.13, John 3.24, 34, 1 Thessalonians 4.8. Now you know that the Holy Spirit is the one who brings back the memory of all that was foretold. I will send the Holy Spirit, and he will bring unto you all that you have heard from me. He will reveal to you all truth, and you have only heard the truth from me. John 14.26, that is what he says. So when memory returns, you can hardly believe that you are looking at one that you formerly denounced as your son. When you read the story of David, has it ever occurred to you that the David of biblical fame is your son? You would say, maybe, if you were not born in the Jewish faith, how could he be? I am a Christian, David is a Jew, and how could he be my son? Forget Jew, forget Christian, forget black, white, yellow, pink. And see it as what it really is. It is God's plan of salvation. It hasn't a thing to do with what the world teaches. It is all something entirely different. Now if this is true, and he said Christ is the Son of God, and he tells you that David is the Son of God, is David the Christ? Let me turn to the 11th chapter of Revelation. And the kingdom of this world becomes a kingdom of our Lord and his Son. Revelations 11.15 the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Son. They do not say in Revelation, the 11th chapter, Jesus Christ. They speak of the Lord and of his Son. Now, who is the Lord? We are told in Paul's letter to the Corinthians, the 12th chapter of Second Corinthians, no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. No one can really know it. 
unless you know he is the Lord. Then you can speak of the Lord and of his Son, for the Christ is the Son of the Lord. So, if you know the Lord, you can only know that Jesus is the Lord by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is simply memory returning. It is remembrance. He will bring unto your memory all that I have told you. John fourteen twenty six. So, when he sends the Holy Spirit upon man, then the whole thing begins to return to something that was a lost memory. So, we suffer from total amnesia. Now, let us go to the scripture. For he tells us we must be born again. And then, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. John 3.14 Is that something you can experience? I tell you from my own experience, yes. You experience it in this manner. You are told at the very end of the drama, after he was resurrected, then... As they crucify him, and he is resurrected, came the splitting of the curtain of the temple from top to bottom. Luke twenty-three, forty-five. You are told in scripture, You are the temple of the living God, and the Spirit of God dwells in you. 2 Corinthians six sixteen. If you are the temple of the living God, and the curtain of the temple is split from top to bottom, is it not your body that is split from top to bottom? It cannot be some piece of clothing hanging in some synagogue, or some cathedral or some church made with human hands. For if you are the temple of the living God, and that temple's curtain is split from top to bottom, marking the resurrection of the Spirit of God, then it is your body that is split, and it splits in this manner. This comes 123 days after the discovery that David is your son, revealing you as God the Father. A bolt of lightning, seemingly out of the blue, splits you in two from the top of your head to the base of your spine. Then you look at the base of your spine, and there you see a golden liquid pulsing living light. As you contemplate it, you know it is yourself, and you fuse with it. You become one with that which you contemplate, and then, like a bolt of spiral lightning, you ascend your spine into the skull once more, and it reverberates like thunder. We are told you will take the kingdom of heaven by storm. Matthew eleven twelve and Luke sixteen sixteen Revised Standard Version You take it with violence, for when you enter, you enter in the most violent manner, and the nearest thing on earth that I can use to illustrate it would be a rivet. It is like a hot, hot rivet, and you bore it into steel. This thing simply reverberates. Your whole head reverberates as you go up your spine like a serpent, right into your skull. So, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. John 3.14 And he finds himself as the Son of Man. And if you go up that way, why then, you are the Son of Man. Then comes one that takes place 998 days later, completing the circle of 1,260 days. Then suddenly, without warning, the heavens open. Your skull becomes translucent, and there is no circumference, 
infinite transparency and hovering above you as a dove, about twenty feet up, and it's floating, yet there is no water. But it is not using its wings to remain aloft. It floats just as a duck would float, but it's a dove. And the dove looks at you lovingly. At your side there will be a witness. In my case it was a woman of about thirty. I call her the voice of God, and here as I looked at the dove she said to me, They avoid men, because men give off the most offensive odor. But he so loves you, he penetrated the ring of offense to demonstrate his love for you. Then the dove descended, and I stuck my hand out with my index finger this way, illustrating. It lit on that index finger. I brought it automatically to my face, and it smothered me in kisses all over my neck, my head, my face. And while it was smothering me with kisses, the whole scene then dissolved, completing the four mighty acts as spoken of in Scripture. Psalms 106, 2, 145, 4, 12, 150, 2, in the King James Version. So I tell you from my own experience that the story of Jesus Christ is true. As told in Scripture, and Jesus Christ in you was the hope of glory, Colossians one twenty seven. Were he not in you, it wouldn't happen to you. Because all things happen to Jesus Christ, to the Father and the Son, to the Lord and his Son. It has to happen to Jesus Christ. And so no one can say Jesus is the Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now he makes the statement. When you see me, you have seen the Father. How can you say, show me the Father? I am the Father, John 8, 9. I and the Father are one, John ten thirty. Have you been so long with me, Philip, and yet you do not know me? He who has seen me has seen the Father, John 8, 9. But you do not know the Father unless the Son reveals him, and the Son does not reveal him. I can talk about the Father, but you do not know that you are the Father. The Son must come into your world in the manner which I have just described. There's an explosion within you, and that explosion reveals that which is hidden there which was hidden there. Well, where in scripture is it said that he was hidden within you? We are told in the third chapter of the book of Ecclesiastes, the eleventh verse. And God has put eternity into the minds of men, yet so that man cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. Ecclesiastes 3.11 Now the interpretation of this verse, which is the most disputed verse in Ecclesiastes, hangs upon the meaning that you give to the word translated eternity. The Hebrew word is olam. It is translated in the King James Version as the world. God has put the world into man's mind. In that Revised Standard Version, it is translated as eternity. God has put eternity into man's mind. But the word, you find it three times in the 17th chapter of the book of 1 Samuel. And this is how it is translated. He has just severed the head of the enemy of Israel, personified as a giant Goliath. It had been promised that the father of the son who severed the head of the enemy of Israel will be set free. Not the son, but the father will be set free. 
So the king now turns to his lieutenant, Abner, and he asks the question, Abner, whose son is that you? Abner replies, As your soul liveth, O king, I do not know. He sends him to inquire whose son that stripling is. No one knows. Now David stands before the king with the head of Goliath in his hand, and he turns to David, and he says to David, Whose son are you, young man? Second Samuel seventeen fifty six fifty eight. Now the three words, young man, stripling, and youth are translations of the word olam, the same word that is translated eternity. So when he put eternity into the mind of man, he put David. Well, now who is David? I tell you, he is the son. Well, now is he the son or does he represent something? He represents a history of humanity. But that history consists of all the generations of men and their experiences condensed into one grand whole and that concentrated time into which all the generations of men are fused and from which they spring is named eternity. That complete history of humanity, if personified, would come out as David. So the man who sees David as his son has gone through the entire history that was put into the mind of man, or put into the mind of him. He has played all the parts, and having played all the parts, he is now entirely entitled to be awakened as the father within him, as him. And the concentration of the whole history of humanity stands before him as David, and David is the personification of humanity. So you can say that humanity is the son of God, but humanity personified as David of biblical fame. So all are contained within the man who awakes. So I can say to you tonight that every one of you, all who ever walked the face of this earth, all that ever walked the face of this earth are now contained within you. And I can say that all things are within my own wonderful human imagination because all are part of the history of humanity. And having seen all personified as a single youth, the eternal youth, for eternity is a youth, not an old man, having seen my son and having identified him as David, I know exactly who I was, having seen David. So the Bible is completely correct in saying, no one has seen God, John 1, 18. But the only begotten son who is in the bosom of the of the Father, he has made him known. John 1, 18, the Revised Standard Version. And no one knows who the Son is except the Father. And no one knows who the Father is except the Son. And anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal it. Luke ten twenty two Revised Standard Version. So that Son cannot reveal you as God the Father till the end when you have completed the play and played it all. When you have played it all, then automatically there is an explosion within your head. Well, that is where the whole drama takes place. And standing before you will be your son, sum total of the history of humanity. So this is eternity, and he placed it in man. Yet so man could not find out what God had done from the beginning until the end. Ecclesiastes 3.11 The word end is te telos, which simply means perfect.
being perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Matthew 5, 48. It means to actually reproduce the, or, the original. Now the original is God the Father. As we are told, let us make man in our image. Genesis 1, 26. Now there is an image. That original must be reproduced in you. So Paul could say, Again, I am in labor with you until Christ be formed in you. Galatians 4.19, the Revised Standard Version. When he is completely formed in you, like a child being formed in the womb of woman, when it is formed, then it comes out at the, appro at the appointed hour. So this will come out at the appointed hour, but from above. So there are two births, one from below, from the womb of a woman, and one from above out of the skull of generic man. This is told us beautifully in the Gospel of John, but told us symbolically in this manner. And Peter went into the tomb, and the body was not there, but the linen clothes were there. And then the napkin was folded up that was lying on his head, but apart by itself. John 26 and 7, the Revised Standard Version. Now you hear that or you read it in scripture and you wonder what on earth did they record this for but john is the most profound of the evangelists and he told the birth in symbolism so that no one could understand it you and i use the word napkin in a very limited sense today we speak of a cocktail napkin a dinner napkin or a sanitary napkin but the ancients had a wider use wider sense of meaning for the word napkin. It meant the placenta, the afterbirth. It is that which attaches the fetus to the uterus for the purpose of nourishment. And then the uterus at birth expels the placenta. So that napkin is the evidence that a birth took place. It took place in the tomb and the tomb's name is Golgotha. And the word Golgotha means skull. So there was his napkin bearing evidence of the fact that some birth took place. But that which was born has disappeared. It isn't here, but the evidence is here in the form of a napkin. A birth did take place, and the linen clothes simply mean the body out of which it came. It escaped from death, for the body is a body of death. It rose out of death, leaving behind it the linen clothes or the body, and the evidence of its resurrection, which is the napkin, the placenta, the afterbirth. So this is God's purpose. Now, if you know anything in this world that could interest you more, why then tell it? There are men today who are in their 80s who, every time their name appears in the paper, they add to it. A millionaire, and their consuming love is another million. They aren't going to take one penny with them, but they still want another million. What I am talking about tonight would not interest them at all. But may I tell you, the best and the worst in this world differ, and only one thing, the object of their love. When you have the love for the word of God rather than for happiness, wealth, and so on, then you are really on your way. He said, I will send a famine upon the world, it will not be a hunger for bread or for the thirst of water, 
but for the hearing of the word of God. Amos 8.11, Revised Standard Version. Men who would rather have the honors of men and frame them and put them up on the wall and point them out to their friends. Look, I got this one for so-and-so and that for so-and-so. And all these things mean absolutely nothing. They will vanish in no time. But why in, what I am talking about is forever. It never, never vanishes. I'm speaking of eternity. You are headed towards an eternal life in an entirely different age, a new age, and this that I've told you tonight is the way you are going to center it. You do not enter it by giving your substance to the poor and giving to the foundations of this world, no. You enter it, or you enter it in the strange, mysterious, and peculiar manner that I have spoken of here tonight. That's how you enter it. I hope I have made it clear it is not the easiest topic because nothing is more difficult than to take something of this nature and strain it through preconceived misconceptions of scripture. So man, having been taught scripture as secular history rather than salvation history, and I am telling you this evening all the symbol, symbolism of salvation history, it's difficult to completely absorb it in a moment. If I tell you, as I did tonight, that David is a Messiah, and David is simply the sum total of all the events, all the experiences of humanity, he is the personification of human history, and the Lord Jesus is the one who plays all the parts, and he plays it in you, and you, having played all the parts, will awaken us a Lord. And because he is God the Father, there must be a Son bearing witness of his fatherhood. And the sum total of this adventure pauses before you as the son of that awakening, the result of it. Now, because of the nature of tonight's subject, suppose we go into the silence. 